let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. George was angry. He couldn't exactly remember when the anger started, but he knew it was when he was a child. You see, he was the fifth born of seven children, raised in a poor home without his biological father in a rough neighborhood. He was always hungry and never satisfied. When I was six years old, George says, I wanted to fight anyone. By the time he reached JSS, the violence and rage had become second nature. Eventually, George dropped out of high school and took up the sport of boxing because he wanted to punish people. All that anger made George a fierce boxer. By the time he was 19 years of age, he won the gold medal at the Mexico Summer Olympics in the heavyweight boxing division. And it seemed as if there was nothing that could stop George Foreman. And later in 1973, he won the world heavyweight boxing title in a second round knockout of smoking Joe Frazier. But all the success in the world couldn't tame his temper. When he won, he was angry. When he was paid huge sums of money, he was angry. Listen to George Foreman in his own words. Even when everything was going well for me, I couldn't see it and I didn't appreciate it. When Muhammad Ali fought me for the heavyweight championship, I received a $5 million paycheck. You'd think that being a multimillionaire would bring instant joy to my soul. It didn't. I couldn't enjoy the money. I had $5 million in the bank and couldn't find pleasure in even one penny of it. My sour attitude caused me to sink into deep depression, even though I was filthy rich. $5 million could buy me anything I wanted except happiness. But then something surprising happened to George Foreman. He lost a match that he thought he might win. He was defeated by Jimmy Young, and George was taken to the dressing room outside the boxing ring, and suddenly his heart began pounding, his hands began shaking, his legs gave way, and he started to lose consciousness. And suddenly, in that moment, George Foreman knew he was about to die. George Foreman didn't want to die. He was fierce and brave in the boxing ring, but there was one thing he feared. He feared death. So even though he had never served God in his life, he started to bargain with God. God, I'll give money to charity, he said. And then God clearly spoke to him, I don't want your money. I want you. Suddenly, faith rose in his heart. Suddenly, the love of God broke through from heaven. And in that instant, everything changed when George Foreman surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Instantly, he was delivered from darkness. All the anger, all the sadness was wiped away by Jesus. Jesus Christ has come alive in me, he shouted. He jumped up and ran around the room shouting, Jesus Christ has come alive in me. And from that moment, George Foreman was transformed. He never looked back. When Jesus came into his heart, he found in God what he could never find in fame or in fortune or in the flesh. He found peace and joy and a purpose in life. Today, George Foreman is still financially wealthy, but even better than that, he's full of faith, happily married, and on a mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he met Jesus, George was wealthy and rich, but in turmoil inside. But it wasn't until the soul was saved 
that George Vorman became extravagantly blessed. And in his true story, there's a lesson for all of us today. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter how much you have today. You may be sitting there with a lot of money in the bank and a nice car in the car park. But the fact is, you will never be truly blessed. You'll never be guaranteed to be blessed. You'll never be extravagantly blessed until you find your purpose in serving Jesus Christ. That's the lesson in our sermon this morning. But before we go on, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you for all the riches that you've given to us in this life, in spirit, in soul, and in body. Thank you for giving us life and sustaining us. If we only could see and knew everything you'd done for us, we would lift our hands and shout, I'm blessed. But all too often, God, our eyes are blinded, our hearts are darkened by wrong vision and wrong perspective. We don't see the things you've done for us, and we struggle to hold on to the little we have. I ask you today, Lord, to open our eyes, give us spiritual revelation that we will see the glory of your word and the joy of serving you. I submit each and every one of us to you, Lord Jesus, and I bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to give us light and life, to speak to our hearts and show us the truth of the blessings we have and we find in you. Lord, help us that at the end of the day, your name will be glorified and we will be extravagantly blessed. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take just a moment. Join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and say after me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to Agape House New Testament Church. It's great to see you here. Hey, you picked an awesome day to worship the Lord with us as we're wrapping up our sermon series, hashtag blessed. Each week, we've been given a promise that builds and accelerates upon the last one. We began in week one with a message, truly blessed. And our promise was from Psalm 1, 1 and 3. Blessed is the person who obeys the law of the Lord. He succeeds in everything he does. So we started from the foundation that if you will follow God's word and his ways, you will succeed in everything you do. Then in week two, we moved up a step and we got the message guaranteed to be blessed. And our promise was from Deuteronomy 28.8, where the Bible says the Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do. So we started with success in everything we do, and we moved up to God's guaranteed blessing in everything we do. Because see, you can be successful, but not be blessed by God. And so we moved up and we came to the third week and we climbed the third rung of the ladder in the message, So to be Blessed. Our promise was from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And suddenly God gets specific. He says, you're not just going to be successful. You're not just going to be guaranteed to be blessed, but you're going to be abundantly blessed in all things, at all times. You'll have all that you you need and you will abound. And these are fantastic and wonderful promises and we're accelerating into new levels of blessing, but none of them can compare with the promise we're going to study today. For today, we get the best promise of blessing in the entire Bible. Today, we're going to get the promise of extravagant blessing where God's going to open the windows of heaven and pour out more than we can contain and more than we can carry. If you believe it, shout, I'm blessed. 
Now, to help us learn the truth for today, we printed sermon notes. They're inside your bulletin. They look like this, and I invite you to take them out now, and let's discover together the three truths that you need to be extravagantly blessed. And there, at the top of your notes and on the screen ahead of you, is our scripture text for today, taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. Don't forget, if you're joining us online throughout Ghana or the rest of Africa or the rest of the world, you can download these notes free of charge on our Facebook page or at our website, www.agapehousegana.org. I believe that God's word has the most impact when it's in our heart and in our lives. So I want you to take the printed word and the word displayed on the screen and make it a powerful weapon, a sword of the spirit in your mouth. If you want to be extravagantly blessed, I want you to say it louder than your neighbor. Are you ready? Let's read it out loud together. Three, two, one, go. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I thank God for your reading, but since I had the microphone, I read it louder and I get the biggest blessing. Amen. I love this passage. I love the powerful promise that God gives to us. Think about what it's telling us for a moment. This is the greatest promise of extravagant blessing in the Bible. The Lord says, I myself am going to do something for you. He's not sending an angel. He's not sending a prophet. He's not sending a servant. He says, I myself am coming and I will open not the window, not a window, but I will open the windows of heaven for you. That's plural. It's not one window, not two, not three, not four, but all the windows of heaven are being opened on the people who meet these conditions. And God says, I will personally come and pour out an outpouring upon you. It's an outpouring of provision, an outpouring of grace, an outpouring of mercy, an outpouring of favor and anointing and blessing. It's an outpouring so great, you can't carry it. You can't contain it. It will flow out to bless others. If you believe it, shout amen. But just as we've seen before, this promise has a premise. The extravagant blessings of God are an outcome of obedience. There's something we have to do to put ourselves in the place where we can claim extravagant blessings. So what do we need to do to, ex to claim these blessings? Today, let's examine this passage more thoroughly, and let's discover the three truths we need to be extravagantly blessed. And here's your first truth today, the principle of ownership. Take your pen and fill in the blank with the word ownership, the principle of ownership. Understand today that extravagant blessings begin with giving God what belongs to him. That's why the passage tells us God said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. In other words, God is saying, bring me what belongs to me. So the first step to extravagant blessings is to heed the principle of ownership. See, God has laid out a very simple plan for every one of us to be extravagantly blessed. With this simple plan, we can guarantee both peace of mind and prosperity in life. With this simple principle, we can guarantee success without sorrow. 
And that one simple principle is the principle of ownership. For the fact is, if you own your life and you own all your money and all your possessions, then the responsibility to keep it and to build it falls on you. If you're worried about your money or your future or your finance, it's an indication that you consider yourself the owner. And as the owner, you are the guardian of your riches. But when God owns you and God owns everything you have, then you can entrust it to his hands you can trust God to safeguard and keep everything about you and everything that pertains to you that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 don't worry about these things saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear or, will we get coronavirus well he didn't say that I just added it all right these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who consider themselves the owner of their own life, the ruler of their own life, have to be worried because the burden of keeping their goods to themselves rests with them. But to those who trust God and yield to him, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Put him first, make him the Lord, make him the owner and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. In other words, God's extravagantly blesses the life that fully belongs to him. When you yield yourself completely to God, then he takes responsibility for everything that pertains to you. And when you trust God completely, he blesses you extravagantly. That reminds me of the story of the little boy who went with his father to visit one of their very wealthy uncles. The little boy and the dad walked to the uncle's house. When they got there, it was a huge mansion. They went inside, the uncle welcomed them, and they took their seat in the parlor. There was great exquisite furniture and marble finishings, but there was only one thing the boy was looking at. This little boy loved a sweet. And right there on the table in the parlor, there was a big bowl of toffees. So from the moment they came and sat, the little boy was staring at the toffees and his mouth was watering. And the whole time his dad and the uncle were discussing, the boy was staring at the toffees. Well, the rich uncle looked at this and saw it and knew the boy wanted some. So when the dad and the little boy got ready to go, the rich uncle said, son, take your hand and grab a handful of toffee and take them along with you. But to everyone's amazement, the boy just stood there with his hand behind his back looking at the dad. And the uncle said, it's all right, son. You can take the toffee. Just grab a handful and go. But still, the little boy stood there looking at his dad. And finally, in embarrassment, the father said, don't worry, I will take it. And the dad reached and grabbed a handful of toffee, put it in his pocket, and they left. Well, as the father and the son were walking home, the dad suddenly turned to the boy and said, son... Why didn't you take the toffee when your uncle offered it to you? Then the little boy turned and looked at his dad with a smile on his face. He said, I wanted the toffee and you have a bigger hand than I do. I wanted you to take the toffee so I would get more. And I've got news for you today. God has a bigger hand than you do. And when you leave it up to him to get your blessing, he gets more than what you could ever possibly get for yourself. See, that's the problem with always fighting and grabbing and pushing and pulling people down, trying to get for yourself. Your hand is too small. But understand today that God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. 
And this principle of ownership applies to all of us today, whether you're rich or poor, whether you have a lot of money in the bank or you have enough money to make it to Tuesday of next week. It applies to everybody. And especially God speaks to the rich because there's a tendency for the rich to think that they control their destiny. That's why he says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, God says, don't trust in riches. Trust in the one who gives you riches. That way you can have peace in your heart as well as money in the bank. So lift your hands and say this after me. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. But you see, here's the problem for people everywhere. When we get a little bit of money, we get a little bit of self-assurance. The more money you have, the more swag you have in your walk. When you've got a lot of money, you see it as an impenetrable fortress. You think you're secure. You think you're powerful. But the Bible makes it clear. Money takes wings and flies away. Money is uncertain. And if you're not careful, you will lose not only your security, but the money itself. That's the lesson we can learn from Sonny Abacha. In his days as president of Nigeria, Sonny Abacha ruled with an iron fist. I lived in Nigeria during the beginning of his reign and people were afraid of him. He soaked up all the oil money and used it to control everything and everyone. According to post-Abacha government sources, between three and four billion U.S. dollars of assets have been traced to Abacha, his family, and his friends. But in one moment, Abacha lost it all. He died at the age of 54 at Asorak in Abuja from a heart attack in the presence of Korean prostitutes. Oh, yes. His money, his power, could not last. And today, nobody answers to Abacha. No one fears his name, and all his money is gone. And what happened to Abacha will happen to you when you trust in your money. And what makes matters worse is, is that you consider yourself the owner of your money and your property. You've got to always fight to protect it. You've got to hold on to it tightly. You've got to keep it to yourself. But when God owns you, you can entrust it to him and receive extravagant blessings. So the question you need to ask yourself today is, who owns you? Who controls your money? For the fact is God has a right to own all of us, every one of us, lock, stock, and barrel. But you see, the Bible tells us God created us. He's the one that gave us life. You would not be here on earth except for God's decision to create you. You didn't create yourself. You didn't choose to be here by yourself. But the Bible tells us God gave us life. That's why Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We all belong to him. But not only did he give us life, God is the one that keeps us alive. The Bible says in 
him we live and move and have our being. It's by his command that the word holds together. It's by his word that we have breath in our lungs. If he says your time is up, your heart will stop, your lungs will stop, and you will cease to exist. But not only did he give us life, and not only do we exist by his power, but it's the power of God in you that even gives you the ability to create wealth. All the ideas, the creativity, the talent, the strength that you have to work and produce comes from God. That's why 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 13 says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. It is in your hands to strengthen and power, to exalt and to give strength to all. And some wealthy people have the tendency to think, I'm the one who created this. I deserve the glory. I deserve the pleasure. But listen to Deuteronomy 18 when God says, you might say to yourself, I'm rich because of my own power and strength. But remember, but remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power to become rich. Somebody say amen. And the simple truth is this. God's not after your money. He's after you. God doesn't need your money. He needs your worship. God's not going to spend your money, but he wants to spend eternity with you. That's why, first of all, you've got to acknowledge the principle of ownership. That's why Romans 6.13 says, give yourselves completely to God. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And we offend God when we preach on giving and neglect to talk about giving ourselves first. Somebody say, I'm blessed. In fact, we need to give our whole lives to him. But what exactly does it look like to give myself completely to God? What exactly does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Does that mean I have to become poor? Does that mean when the offering basket comes around, I should put myself in it? Does it mean I have to go and become a missionary in Upper West? Well, the Bible gives us a clear Example to follow in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, listen to the word of God. They first gave themselves to the Lord before they gave their money. This is what God wants. First give yourself to God and then give your money to him. And that brings us to our second truth today, the practice of offering. Take your pen and fill in the blank with the word offering, the practice of offering. When you understand the principle of ownership, then it now directs you to practice giving offerings and tithes. Giving is the main sign that we acknowledge God is the owner of our life. Tithing is an acknowledgement that all we have and all we are belongs to him. That's why two verses before our scripture text in Malachi 3.8, God has a rebuke for us. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Turn your notes over to page two and tell your neighbor he's talking about you. See, the problem is when we withhold our tithes and offerings, we're cheating God. We're robbing God. And God says, if you cheat me, if you rob from me, if you withhold your money, your life doesn't belong to me. You're stealing from me. And God promises to send God's debt recovery team. What is God's debt recovery team? Well, it, it comes in different shapes and sizes. It appears in different forms, but God's debt recovery team can be seen when the mechanic rips you off or when the policeman stops you for 
or when the sales girl doesn't give you what you paid for, or when you suddenly fall sick and have to go buy medicine you would not normally buy. Have you ever experienced God's debt recovery team? Maybe it was an unexpected expense, or maybe an actual thief who robbed you. You thought you couldn't afford to tithe or give, so you postponed it because God will understand, and he did. He understood it was time to send his debt recovery team. And so maybe somehow along the month, you don't know what happened, but it didn't add up. The money got missing, and here you are, a victim of God's debt recovery team. I think I'll never forget a conversation I had with an Agape House member in 2010 who experienced God's debt recovery team. His testimony is so amazing, I want to read it to you as he told it to me word for word. I believe that by paying my tithe, God provides protection for me. So I made sure I paid my tithe every month. But one month in 2010, I struggled with myself about paying my tithe. Even though I had the money, I just didn't want to pay my tithe. So when nothing bad happened to me for three weeks into the month, I knew I'd gotten away with not paying my tithe for that month. But then, later that month, I was caught by police breaking a traffic regulation. And when the three police officers who arrested me did not accept my pleas for mercy, I knew I was in serious trouble and I would need to incentivize them to let me go off the hook. However, the officers did not accept the money I offered them. They asked me to give them more. And to my shock, it was almost the exact same amount as my tithe. It then hit me. They were God's debt recovery team. I still paid my tithe for that month in case something worse would happen. Don't be surprised by God's debt recovery team because God owns you and all you have. And he warns us in Deuteronomy 28, 15, if you do not obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands and laws I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and stay. See, anytime you withhold your tithe and your offering, you're robbing God. You're stealing from him. When you don't pay, you rob God. But when you do pay, you honor God. That's why Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Offering your tithe and gifts to God honors him and gives him his rightful place as your Lord. It's a reminder. He owns you. Years ago, there was a church in town that was growing by leaps and bounds. The God was moving and people were coming in their numbers. Overnight, the church seemed to explode. And they had one problem. Even though they had seats in the sanctuary, there was not enough room for all the people to park their cars. People were coming with SUVs and Mercedes and the car park was full. People had to park way down the road and trek to the church and it was becoming a problem. But coincidentally, across the street from the church, there was a supermarket that was closed on Sunday morning. And so anytime the members came, they tried to park in the supermarket car park, but the security guard would refuse them. There was space available. It was an ample car park, but the security guard was driving the church members away. Well, the pastor and the elders decided that they needed to go to the owner and appeal to him to let the church use the car park 
on Sunday. So they prayed and fasted, and then they went and persuaded the man. And after much prayer and persuasion, they were able to get the owner of the supermarket to agree that on Sunday morning when his store was closed, the members of the church could park there, problem solved. But there was only one condition the owner insisted on. He insisted that no matter what, on the first Sunday of every month, no church member was allowed to park in the car park. And the pastor and the elders said, but why? If you let us there on the second Sunday, the third, the fourth, the fifth Sunday, why can't we park there on the first Sunday? That's our biggest Sunday. We need the car park then. Why can't we park there on the first Sunday? Then the owner said, you can't park there on the first Sunday because I want you to always remember the car park belongs to me. Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. And the fact is, God demands a tithe from you, the first 10%, to remind you that this all belongs to him. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. You can give without being surrendered to God, but you cannot be surrendered to God without giving. That's why the practice of tithes and offerings doesn't change. It's based on an unchanging principle of ownership. That's why the verses in Malachi 3 before our text show us clearly that the principle of offering tithes and bringing gifts to God is an eternal principle. You see, in Malachi 3, 1 to 4, the prophet begins to prophesy. He's foretelling a future event. Listen to what he says. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. It's coming in the future. Who can endure the day of his coming? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. What is Malachi prophesying about? He's prophesying about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's predicting the day when the Old Testament is gone, the New Testament is over, that period of time on earth has ended, and the world has come before the throne of God to be judged. Jesus will come and sit on the throne as the judge and the refiner, and in that day, in the day of the second coming, God demands men who will bring righteous offerings to him. So God's ownership of man is an eternal principle, and man's offering to God is an eternal practice. Some people say, well, tithing is in the Old Testament. We don't practice it any longer. But the truth in tithing is based on an eternal principle of ownership. The truth of tithing is based on the principle that God owns us, and that principle doesn't change. That's why in this same passage in Malachi 3.6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And that's why Jesus himself preached about tithing in Matthew chapter 22, 23, 23. He said, you should tithe. Yes. Everybody say yes. Tell your neighbor, you should tithe and answer yes. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus himself advocates tithing. What he doesn't support is paying your tithe while you cheat, lie, and steal. He doesn't want the tithe from your cocaine money. If you believe it, say amen. But that doesn't excuse not paying tithes. So let me make, make it very clear what God wants. A tithe is 10%. 10% of all your income, 10% of what God adds to you, that's what the tithe is. A tithe means 10%. You can't pay 5% and say, it's my tithe. It's not a tithe. The tithe must be 10%. Tell your neighbor 10%. Reminds me of the young man who came to church one day 
and he'd just gotten a promotion and a raise. He was now getting more money, and he found it that the, the tithe was too much for his liking. He didn't think that he should have to pay that much, so he came to the pastor to complain. He said, Pastor, my tithe has increased, and I don't, I don't really want to pay that much. It's a lot of money. I mean, I, I want you to strike a bargain with God and get him to reduce my tithe. Well, the pastor said, no problem. I can reduce your tithe, and the young man was happy. Hey, hallelujah. Hey. The pastor said, kneel down. He started to pray for him. Lo, reduce his income. Reduce his income. The young man jumped up and said, what? Pastor, stop. Asapo, why? The pastor said, you said you wanted to reduce tithe. The only way to reduce your tithe is to reduce your income. Hello. Yeah, if you don't want to pay your 10%, no problem. Come, I'll pray for you. Lord, reduce his income in Jesus' name. A tithing is 10% and it's brought to the house of God. You cannot use your tithe to pay your sister's children's school fees. You can't use your tithe to pay a missionary in Upper West. Tithing is brought to the house of God first. That's why Exodus 23, 19 says, The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You can't pay your tithe somewhere else. You bring it to the house of God. It's the first fruits, not the leftover. That's the lesson we learned from Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel, the two first sons of Adam and Eve? Well, Cain was a farmer who dealt with fruits and vegetables. Abel was a shepherd who dealt with sheep. And the Bible says at a point in time, the both of them brought an offering. But Abel's was accepted and Cain's was rejected. And I wondered, God, why did you reject Cain's offering? But then we get a clue in Genesis 4, verses 3 and 5, the Bible says, in the course of time, everybody say in the course of time. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and the Lord did not accept Cain and his gift. You know what Cain did? He gathered his harvest, he brought it into the barn, he stored the fruit and the grain and the yams, and he kept them there. And then as time went by, in the course of time, by and by, as he saw what his consumption was, he calculated what he would have left over that he could conveniently give to God. He gave God leftovers in the course of time. And a lot of us practice what Cain did. We said, let me wait till the end of the month to pay my tithe, and I'll see how my bills are and what I have left over. But along the road, God sends his debt recovery team and something comes up and you don't have the money, you come to the end of the month and you're short. You've got to bring God his tithe and offering first. You've got to bring it to his house. See, God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants you. Bring yourself to him. Bring your first to him. And you will break the power of greed. So here's the truth you need to put on your keychain and carry along with you. Being blessed is not about how much money you have, but rather how much money has you. Do your possessions possess you? But when you come to God first and say, before anything, before my bills, before my needs, I'm going to pay you what is yours. I'm going to give you the tithe. Then you open the windows of heaven. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 16 now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. And when you acknowledge the principle of ownership and practice the offering to God, it brings you to your third truth, the promise of overflow. 
Take your pen and fill in the blank with the word overflow. And let's review our text one more time from Malachi 3.10. The Bible says, God says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. God's promise of financial blessing is extravagant. He says, I'm going to provide for you, but I'm going to go beyond that. You won't just survive. You will thrive. And God's good blessing comes not just financially, not just to meet your need, but it comes with peace. It comes with joy. It comes with no trouble and no debt recovery team. That's why Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The extravagant blessings of God come to us without sorrow, without pain, without heartbreak. They come with the joy and the peace of the Lord in this life and in the life to come. For do not forget that God's blessing and his promise upon his people who give to him isn't just in this life, but it's also in eternity. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18, I tell you the truth, all those who've left houses, wives, brothers, parents, or children for the kingdom of God will get much more in this life and in the age that is coming, they will have life forever. So no matter what in this life, it's not the end. No matter what you get in this life, there's still a greater reward coming, a reward that thieves can't steal, a reward that moth and rust can't destroy, a reward that will last with eternity with Jesus Christ. God promises extravagant blessings. And even if in this life, you don't get all the blessings you think you need or you think you want, don't forget there's a greater blessing coming in eternity for there's no blessing on earth that can compare with the blessings of glory. There is no relationship, no career. There is no amount of money or possessions or success that can compare to the extravagant blessings of being with Jesus forever and ever. That's why don't compare your status to others. Don't look at others and say, he's got more blessing than me. This is not the end. If you only focus on this life, you are celebrating success too soon. That's the lesson we can learn from the 2015 Miss Universe pageant. On December 20th, 2015, the Miss Universe pageant was held in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. As the competition went through the stages, they came to the final when the MC, Mr. Steve Harvey, was going to announce the winner. The crowd waited in anticipation. The finalists held their bated breath and Mr. Steve Harvey took the microphone and said, the winner of Miss Universe 2015 is Miss Columbia. Everybody cheered. Miss Columbia went happy. She was so blessed. They put the crown on her. They put the sash on her shoulder. They gave her a bouquet of flowers. And Miss Columbia began to walk and parade around the stage, waving and smiling as the crowd clapped and cheered. For two full minutes, Miss Columbia was basking in the adoration of the crowd. And then the unthinkable happened. As Miss Columbia was waving to the cheers and enjoying her crown and her flowers, Mr. Steve Harvey stepped forward and said something that shocked the world. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. The winner of Miss Universe 2015 is not Miss Columbia, it's Miss Philippines! Hey! They went and took the crown from Miss Columbia and gave it to Miss Philippines. 
They took the sash and gave it to Miss Philippines. They took the flowers and gave it to Miss Philippines. And Miss Philippines started parading around the stage, waving as people clapped and smiling while Miss Columbia was weeping. She celebrated too soon. And for everyone who celebrates success in life, you've celebrated too soon. I won! I'm the richest man in Ghana. I won! I'm the top CEO in my field. I won! I had the biggest wedding in Ghana. I won! I've got the biggest, most expensive cars. I won! I've got the most power, the most fame, the most pleasure. I won! But oh, the day will come when every earthly treasure will be stripped from you and the crown will be taken from you and given to a generous man who served God and gave his tithes and offerings. You celebrated too soon. That's why 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says, Tell those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good works, and tell them they should be happy to give and ready to share. By doing this, they will be saving up a treasure for themselves, and that treasure will be a strong foundation on which their future life will be built. They will be able to have the life that is true life. So here's the final truth you need to pack up and take home with you. It's impossible to be extravagantly blessed without being generous. You may have a measure of success in this life. You may have achieved some wealth. You may wear a crown in this world, but it's momentary. You'll lose the crown to those who've given to God and acknowledged his lordship. For only the ones who wear the crown in heaven are the generous. That's why Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When you do give, you become extravagantly blessed. That's why I urge you to pay your tithe at Agape House. That's why I urge every one of you to go to the Resource Center, get a tithe book and be faithful to pay your tithe. That's why I urge you to give generously because I want you to be blessed. I want you to succeed. I want you to have all that you need in this life and even more in the life to come. It comes to the generous when you heed the principle of ownership, when you practice offering God your tithes and gifts. You will receive the promise of overflow. You will be extravagantly blessed. Would you stand together with me all across the auditorium in the back? Let's stand and let me pray for you today. As you lift up your hands, I call upon the Lord of heaven. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you today to bless your sons and daughters. Lord, strip away from us every delusion, every false idea that the things of this world are what really matters. Strip away from us the ownership that we think we possess and allow us today to see you in your glory, that all we have and all we are belongs to you. Give us the grace today to offer our lives completely. And Lord, I pray as a sign of our surrender, let us be faithful in tithes and offering. Move upon us to turn a new leaf, to write a new chapter, to begin a new habit, to practice offering to you that we might enter 
the extravagant zone and receive the blessing poured out from you from heaven that is greater than we can contain. We thank you, Lord, that as we obey, you'll be glorified and we will be extravagantly blessed. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.